What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. It's great to be with you on this magnificent day that we have before us. I hope you are having a tremendous week, stepping into your highest greatness for the greatest good of the universe. God damn it, the world needs you, my brothers and sisters. Sending out lots of love and positive vibes. Today's episode, I'm doing another solo roll, and it's all about cannabis. I've been wanting to do this one for a, for a minute now. Finally, I have a moment and, and the inspiration. It came to me in meditation this morning. Eb, it's time to do this cannabis breakdown, baby. If nothing else, it's good for the archive. So, I'm giving you a little taste of the history of cannabis, uh, the evolution of the plant with the human species, how we've used it throughout the ages, the history of it in America, some things you may or may not know about where this thing came from, how we've used it, how it's been completely demonized, how the American, the federal government has done a hell of a job of destroying the plant for most Americans and the idea of it and how that's completely based on business, money, greed, control, uh, manipulation of the American people. So fascinating stuff. I also dive into the science, how it works with our body, my own story with cannabis, why I believe in it, how I use it, what it means to me. So I think you guys will definitely enjoy this. Um, That's about it. Before I head you off to this episode, thank you so much for your support and listenership. I greatly appreciate it, as always. Um, The greatest way that you can show this, show me and this show support is by rating and reviewing this episode of the podcast or or the, the podcast in general. Also, share it with your friends and family. If something really resonates with you, if you vibe with it, if you think a friend or a family member would really enjoy it or get something out of it, please share it with them. Word of mouth is is one of the greatest amplifiers of reach and listenership that we know of, even in the marketing world. So lots of love to you guys. Oh, before I forget... As always, if you are a coffee drinker and you love great coffee, head over to invadercoffee.com. Use code THEEBBINFLOW to get 15% off your next order. Some of the greatest coffee in the world. It is organic, it's low acidity, and it's veteran-owned, so you're supporting a great cause, great people. That's about it, y'all. Lots of love to you. Enjoy this episode, and I'll see y'all on the flip side. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source, the key of imagination, your admission, access to the enlightened dimension, a gateway at the junction of darkness and light, the place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. What's up, everybody? 
How are you doing today? I hope this finds you excellent in your power, in your peace, in your heart space, wherever that might be, at work, behind the wheel, doing work, etc. You know what it is. Well, today's episode, I'm breaking down cannabis, one of my all-time favorite plants, one of my all-time favorite manifestations of the universe, cannabis. Uh, the cannabis plant has been with us a long time. It's been with me a long time. Um, and uh, I feel compelled to share my experience with it, share what I know and understand about it. I've written a lot of articles uh, about the history of it, the science behind it, why it's important for athletes in particular. You know, I played professional football for six years played offensive line. I was a tackle and a guard uh, for the Jaguars and the Bears and used cannabis regularly throughout my NFL football career. Uh, It was very easy to navigate the drug testing, drug testing system, which, which for substances like cannabis, cannabis was on the annual uh, substance of abuse test, which happened only once a year. And you had a general idea of when that test was going to happen. It was either happening sometime uh, during when you first reported back to the facility in April. So after the off-season ended and you came back to for spring training, you might get tested then. And if you didn't get tested then, you were going to get tested around the first week of training camp sometime at the end of July or early August. So there was about a six-month window where you had to cut out cannabis. And once you got tested, you were free to use it basically as as much or as little as you needed. And I absolutely, it came to be my preferred source of pain management and recovery. Helped me deal with all the pain in my body, uh, the depression, the anxiety that I experienced, uh, the ups and downs the mental states that uh, are very common in the NFL and any high-stress, elite-level occupation where you have to come and be at your best at all times, uh, cannabis was a great remedy to that. And I leaned on it heavily (laughs) uh, throughout my football career. And I'm very grateful that it was available and that I had the opportunity to use it. Um... You know, people ask all the time how many guys in an NFL locker room are really using cannabis. And I would venture to say it's at least 50%. My good buddy Marty Bennett, Martellus, who played tight end, uh, he was my teammate uh, on the Chicago Bears. When he came out of his career, he did an interview and he said that he thought it was over 75%. So maybe that's closer to the actual number. Um, I think we need to have 100% of guys taking it, and we'll get into why, but it's very healing for the brain and what the brain endures in the game of football. All of you, I'm sure, understand, uh, or at least maybe you don't. Uh, Concussions are a very prevalent issue in the NFL. Head trauma, brain damage, and these repeated concussions, and basically, you know, in football... When you're playing in the NFL, you don't have, you're not given the 
adequate time to rest and recover. So you're getting out there before your brain is healed after something like a concussion. Really, after any injury, you're never really given the amount of time you need to heal. And that's just part of the gig. You know, we've got to get out there. We've got to play through pain, etc. But playing, coming back too early from a concussion can be even more dangerous because you are not allowing the brain to the time it needs to heal and recover from this cascade of chemical uh, flooding that happens during the process of a concussion. And so over time, this scar tissue builds up and these tau proteins build up, which are released when a concussion happens. And these things basically make your brain cells damaged. They scar them. They make them really brittle and, 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 and ineffective, unable to connect, unable to um, work effectively or the way they're supposed to work. And guys, this leaves guys at, with this disease at the end of their careers or sometime after the end of their careers called CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is basically too much scar tissue in the brain has developed and it's overwhelmed the brain tissue and it's basically results or manifests in something like dementia or Alzheimer's. And this is caused by all of those repeated hits to the head. Now, cannabis can inhibit and reduce the the damage associated with those concussions and that brain damage. And it can also help reverse it and help the brain heal. Now, I'm not a doctor. None of what I say on this episode is to be taken as medical advice. But this has all been very well documented through scientific studies and even our own federal government acknowledges the power of cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants, which means they've seen through scientific research that the, the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant actually help the brain heal and help, the, help protect the brain from brain damage. So we'll get into all that in this episode. Uh, so coming out of my football career, I really I, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I wanted to be a writer. That was always sort of my underlying uh, vision of my life after football. But, you know, life is not that simple. What the hell am I going to write about? What am I going to talk about? So coming out of my football career, I had this stack of journals and I'm going, I don't know what to do. My wife says to me, Ev, it's time to write your book. Ding, ding, ding. Thank God for the women in our lives. Huh, huh fellas? Uh, I don't know where I would be without my magnificent wife. She is a tremendous force of nature, and I greatly appreciate her insights and her intuition and walking this path of life with her for, if it was not for her, I don't know where I would be. So she says, Eb, it's time to write your book. <laughs> say, okay. Let's start this process. So my football agent hands me over to a literary agent. We start this process. We go through. We I start writing this book proposal. And this thing turned out to be, it's a 70-page book proposal. It's the life and times of an offensive lineman, a guy in the trenches in the NFL. It was sort of Charles Bukowski meets North Dallas 40. And I got a lot of 
good feedback from publishers. People really loved it, but they had either filled their sports book quota for the year or they wanted something more red carpet. They wanted that Peyton Manning, Tom Brady story, the stars, the lights, etc. Or they wanted more dirt. They wanted some ugly, nasty story. And I just, you know, I at the time at least, I didn't really have that to give. I still don't have much dirt to give out other than what I've already discussed throughout various interviews and things I've written. Uh, so the book proposal turned into this article that I wrote for SI.com. They had an editorial section called The Cauldron, which was all by athletes, for athletes, writing. And I got to spend some time with this guy, Jamie O'Grady, who ran it. He was, he was an awesome dude. And we put together my, my first piece that I ever wrote. Uh, what does it take to stay in the NFL? And I discussed my my dealings with injuries and pharmaceutical pills and uh, the rigmarole of, you know, navigating your relationship with coaches and training staff and et cetera in the front office while dealing with injuries and being unable to perform and what that's like. And in that, in that piece, I talk a little bit about my experience with cannabis and how I used it. And then also I talk about my experience with Adderall and, uh, that led me into what would become unbeknownst to me, really my, my life after football, which was I guess, for lack of a better term, being a truth teller, being a light, a light bringer, shedding light in the darkness of these things that people have little understanding of, you know, given my experience as a pro football player at the highest level of this game and the experiences I went through, the things I had to endure, the pain I endured, the multiple surgeries, etc., Having had that experience with pharmaceutical pills and cannabis and Adderall and all this stuff, it really left me with some deep insights into the intricacies of the human body, the human mechanism, the human experience, this thing we call life. What can we do? How can we better ourselves? How to take care of ourselves, etc.? I mean, I was already being groomed for that throughout my childhood, being raised by um, my mother is an absolute yogi. My father is a, um, unbeknownst to him, an absolute shaman. And these people were very holistically minded in how they took care of themselves. Food is medicine, exercise, drink plenty of water, use whatever natural means are available before going to a doctor to be prescribed some medication to treat something that would be otherwise curable or uh, able to heal yourself of. So I was very blessed with that, with my family background. And then my life as an athlete led me into the, the deep study, the deep knowledge, the deep experience, uh, firsthand experience of dealing with these severe injuries, back injury, herniated disc, back surgery that led to an infection in the disc, which I was then laid out and paralyzed for a couple months and had to go on eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics where a nurse came to my house every day to inject me with these antibiotics to rid my body of this toxic 
substance that literally left me. I couldn't walk around my house. I couldn't stand over the sink to wash my hands after I went to the bathroom. I was a disaster. But it was amazing because it gave me this really firsthand experience of what the body is capable of, what the body can endure, and how the body can heal. And cannabis is a very potent medicine in this process. And at the time, you know, I was using it very intuitively. I was using it uh, because I knew as an athlete, I had this very intimate relationship with my body. And that started with food for the most part, you know, and then obviously that transcended into substances and medications, etc. where I would, I had a, a very deep experience of whatever it is I put into my body. I felt how that made me feel. Now, you know, it's not like you do it once and then you figure out, oh, this thing doesn't work for me or, you know, whatever it is, but. Over time, you pay attention. And for me, you know, opiates. Every time I took opiates, they did nothing for the pain. They made me feel nauseous. They made me feel like I was on a hair trigger. My rage and anger were just at the surface of my being where anytime any, anything even slightly uh, triggering happened, and it would be with loved ones, I'd be lashing out, yelling at people being a complete maniac. And I remember having this experience. It was with my mother, or my, my girlfriend who obviously then became my wife who were at the time when I was dealing with some very severe injuries, shoulder surgery, back surgery. I couldn't get dressed by myself, etc. I needed help to get dressed and put my shoes on and I needed help, uh, with meals, etc. You know, these people who cared deeply for me, loved me, taking care of me and not doing things or I would, they, they did something to trigger me and I would lash out at them. And I remember having this experience of going, whoa, what is going on? This is not me. And, uh, that to go along with waking up at two or three o'clock in the morning after having, you know, been on a prescribed dosage of Vicodin or Oxycontin or Percocet, whatever it might have been, uh, waking up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning with severe withdrawal symptoms, knifing sensation in my gut, cold sweats, chills, etc., needing more pills just to feed the withdrawal, not even to cure the pain that I was in. So having an awareness of this, really led me to an understanding of, wow, opiates are not a good thing for me. And since I've done some genetic DNA testing that said, I have a specific variance in my, in my DNA that makes me highly susceptible to opiate side effects. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Of course. Where, whereas with cannabis, I could come home from this long day of the grind, or I could use it in and being in a lot of pain, and I felt this relief come through my body, this decompression, this sense of well-being. I could rest, I could recover, I could sleep, I could wake up the next day feeling rejuvenated and revived and ready to rock. This is the sensation you want to feel. 
You want to feel uplifted. You want to feel like you're put into a better state, no matter what it is, whether that's the food you're eating, the things you're drinking, the substances you're taking, whatever it is. For me, the opiates and the prescription uh, anti-inflammatories like Cataflam, Celebrex, Indocin, these highly potent anti-inflammatory drugs that wreak havoc on your digestive system, your liver and kidneys, etc., They just made me feel worse. They put me into a worse state than before I took them. And I was trying to get out of pain. And so cannabis always did that for me. And it was through that very intuitive relationship that I just trusted my instincts around it. And I didn't really know all the medical benefits the way I do now. But I was following my intuition. I was following my instincts. So... Where does this story begin? Well, when I've written about cannabis in the past, I I always refer to it and say this is a more than 10,000 year old medicine. And the reason I just use that number is because the earliest archaeological evidence of cannabis or hemp being found is in China from 10,000 BC. They found some hemp rope and uh, wrapped around these these pottery works. Um, but the truth is cannabis has been around long, much longer than that. Cannabis has been around, if not longer than us, at least as long as we have been on this planet and it's evolved alongside us, which is really the fascinating thing about it. You know, you look, you look back throughout history and you can see how all along the way, cannabis cannabis sativa the male and female parts of the plant so you could say when we talk about cannabis you can say cannabis is the medicine is the connotation or the descriptor to for the plant as medicine and then you can use hemp as the descriptor for the plant as an industrial use as food whether that's hemp seeds or the fibers for clothing and and other material use, etc. But this plant has been with us for so long. And one of my favorite origin stories, uh, you may or may not have heard this before, is there was a famous French explorer who was working his way through Africa. And he he was in West Africa and he came upon the Dogon tribe. There's all of this wonderful, wonderful... uh, stories and tales of the Dogon tribe and their origins and where they come from. But he comes to this Dogon tribe and he goes and he meets with the chief and the chief says, oh yes, go up to these caves up on the hill and you'll see everything. You'll see our history and our origins up there and um, you come back and we can talk about whatever it is that you find there. So the French explorer he goes up to these caves and he sees in these caves they have these unbelievable drawings and paintings and the cave walls of the history of the tribe where they come from they have these very detailed and accurate uh, drawings illustrations of the constellations and in particular the Sirius stars and they knew that there were three Sirius stars and at the time uh, science at the time astrologists at the time only recognized that there was one Sirius star. And these this tribe knew that there were three. 
which was later proven. And so he comes back down and he says, tell me about the constellations and the stars. Meanwhile, this Dogon tribe, they have an annual cannabis festival. Cannabis is a highly prized plant in in the Dogon tribe for their people. And every year they have a cannabis festival to celebrate it. And to celebrate the beings from the Sirius stars who came down and brought them the cannabis plant. And when these beings came down from the Sirius star, they brought them the cannabis plant and they said, this plant will bring you peace. This plant will sustain you. Thus, their celebration, their yearly celebration of the cannabis plant. And so cannabis, the root, cannabis, two dogs, comes from the two dog stars, Sirius A and B. And I've always thought that was so fascinating and wonderful. And whether or not you believe it to be true, it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is, it adds to the truth and the validation of the cannabis plant as being a savior for all of mankind. Now, you may think that's sort of a a stretch to claim that. But the truth is, cannabis is such a powerful bringer of peace and light and awareness. And you feel that in yourself when you take it. You see that throughout the history of it. And it's fantastic. Uh, That's one of my favorite stories of the cannabis plant, the Dogon tribe. You could look that up. Um, So let's get back to the, the more documented history of it. So... There's a, the oldest information around cannabis comes from China, of course. Um, there were hemp cloth was found in burial chambers of the Chu dynasty, which existed from 1122 to 249 BC. The Shu King, which is an ancient Chinese text that dates back to 2350 BC, refers to the soil in Shen, Shen Tung is rich in silk and hemp. Amazing. Emperor Shen Nung, who is known as the father of Chinese medicine, he ruled China circa 2700 BC. He categorized cannabis as Ma. Ma is the Chinese name for cannabis. And it's interesting because as he was the father of Chinese medicine, when he was categorizing all the medicinal herbs, everything got a masculine or a feminine uh, qualification to it, a yin and a yang. Cannabis, or ma, as they refer to it, embodies both the masculine and feminine aspects. Uh, and they used it to treat everything from rheumatism, malaria, beriberi, berry, constipation, absent-mindedness, menstrual cramps, which uh, we know to be true today. There's tons of cannabis products out there uh, for women and to help ameliorate menstrual issues. So this plant has a very ancient, ancient history as being used as both a medicine and a very useful material as well as food. The hemp seeds are profoundly nutritious. Uh, it's, a, it's a complete protein. 
it's it's fantastic i i use it all the time it's one of my favorite um seeds to consume uh so then we fast forward obviously cannabis has been used throughout uh let's let's fast forward a little bit to colonial america so europeans settle in america and colonize it now cannabis or hemp it was mandated to grow it farmers were mandated by law to grow hemp because they had to pay great britain in taxes with hemp because the british navy the most powerful military force on the planet at the time considered hemp to be its most valuable resource. They used it for sails. They used it for rope. They used it basically for every every aspect of their operation. And I, I assume, this isn't anything I've read, but I would assume they used it to eat it. I bet they smoked it. I mean, what do you think sailors were doing out there months at sea, just reading Bible verses? No, these guys were hanging out, smoking hemp chilling out before battle, etc. Um, without a doubt. And so my point there is that this plant was, was highly utilized throughout the history of America. Really only until 1937, which was the Marijuana Tax Act, which I'll get into in a second, was cannabis stigmatized it became totally demonized and stigmatized and made illegal through that process um but some fun facts jefferson thomas jefferson and ben franklin were diplomats for the united states living for the early u.s living in france and they frequented hashish parlors and so those two guys in particular really raved about the uses and benefits and pleasures of the cannabis plant when they came back to the U.S. You know, there's all these uh, documents that are, are frequently disputed. But guys, I mean, do we really need documentation? Do we need written documentation to imagine that the founding fathers of the United States weren't smoking some weed in their downtime? I mean, what do we think they were doing? <laughs> Honestly, they were hanging out. They were drinking beer, they were smoking weed, they were doing their thing, they were enjoying life. I mean, that's, it's pretty simple. You know, we like to live in this, uh, American culture, it's so puritanical, isn't it? It's fascinating. We like to think that there was nothing, there was nothing below the board. Nothing was happening. People were all fucking saints and crystal clean. And didn't do anything out of the ordinary or anything quote unquote weird or, you know, it's just, it's absurd. We've created this whole ideological chasm that we're all supposed to live up to where you're not allowed to do anything interesting. It's like if you're not a doctor or a lawyer or living by the book of the, some strange <laughs> purist law then you are a no good 
grungy, dingy scumbag. I don't know. That's not quite the right word. It's more nuanced than that. But I think it's fascinating, isn't it? So needless to say, cannabis hemp it was widely used in America. Up until 1937, cannabis was a very important part of the American pharmacopoeia. That means you could go to a drugstore, a Rite Aid or a CVS like we have today, a Walgreens, and they had all sorts of cannabis products available for you to purchase. Tinctures, solvents. Um, I'm not sure that they you could go and buy the the raw flower at a drugstore, but I'm sure you could find that somewhere. Uh, New York City had over 300 hashish parlors in it, uh, which all had to shut down as a result of the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act. Uh, but up until then, cannabis was very prevalent. It was used to treat, like in ancient China, everything basically from impotence to insomnia, uh, constipation, menstrual cramps, rheumatoid, rheumatism, rheumatoid arthritis, etc. All these things, all these issues that people were dealing with. You could get a physician which prescribe you cannabis. And rightfully so. It's a, it's a fantastic cure for many ailments. It's a fantastic remedy for many issues. I mean, even today, right now, with, with COVID, we're seeing all of these research institutes going going all in on cannabis research because it looks like components of the plant can really inhibit the infection rate or the severity of covid duh <laughs> but here we are and we we always in america or in modern civilization we need science to prove everything to us a person's experience and the anecdotal reports of thousands upon thousands of people over thousands of years isn't good enough for us. We need to see it through a microscope by a priest in a white lab coat. So there's that. So the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act. Harry Anslinger, who's the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which I believe became the DEA, he got together with Andrew Carnegie Mellon, William Randolph Hearst, and the DuPont family. Now, not only was cannabis a highly valued aspect of the American medicine cabinet, but cannabis, hemp, the fibers, was revolutionizing various industries. Henry Ford built a car out of all hemp fibers. It was lighter, more durable, stronger. Uh, it provided better materials to build vehicles, cars, etc. There were uh, uh, modern, or I'm sorry, popular science. I'm not exactly sure what year this was in. You can look this up wrote a story about hemp has over 25,000 industrial uses. You can make hemp plastic, hemp fiber for clothing, for rope, you know, all the things that we use 
cotton and other material uh, resources you can use and make with hemp. And it's stronger, it's more durable, it's more eco-friendly. Hemp crops actually clean soil. So it's very good for the earth to use that. So here we are, it's 1937, and you've got Andrew Carnegie Mellon, who's a steel family. You've got William Randolph Hearst, who is the largest publisher in the world. He's got acres upon acres of paper trees on which he publishes all his uh, newspapers and magazines, etc. And then you've got the DuPont family, which is oil and other various, uh, and oil, which obviously it, that trickles down into myriad products. So these guys got together and they said, we need to fucking, we need to shut this shit down. This is going to infringe upon our profits. This is going to totally revolutionize all of our industries. So we need to make this shit illegal right now. So the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act, what it did was it effectively made illegal the growth, cultivation, sale, and prescription of anything and everything cannabis hemp related. Now, this was not unchallenged. Fiorello LaGuardia, the mayor of New York City at the time, who with the release of this 1937 Marijuana Tax Act, you can imagine he had about 300 pissed off hashish parlor owners pounding down his door saying, what's the fucking deal, dude? How are you going to make this illegal? This is fantastic. I mean, I've got thousands of customers who are leaving with nothing but smiles. This is a major part of their stress relief, etc. These are businessmen, business people, in New York City who really value my operation. So LaGuardia got together a group of doctors, physicians, medical people uh, to put together the LaGuardia Report, which basically it debunked everything that was in the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act and, and stated why it was necessary to not make cannabis illegal. Uh, that went before a judge. It was shot down unfortunately, and so the stigmatization and demonization of the cannabis plant began. William Randolph Hearst ran myriad stories about blacks and Mexicans smoking weed and and running rampant through cities, raping white women, and it became this whole craze of, uh, obviously, reefer madness came out around this time. So, they really, there was the propaganda campaign to smear cannabis as a exacerbator of violence, as which, you know, obviously in this day and age, you, it's almost, it's laughable to think that that was even an idea. It almost, you know, I challenge you to find someone who hasn't smoked some cannabis and found themselves peacefully curling up on the couch to watch a movie. <laughs> you know, it's the great peace bringer. So the idea that cannabis um, amplifies violent tendencies is pretty absurd. But that's where we found ourselves. So that continued on. Cannabis was made completely illegal. Uh, there were ton, tons and tons of hemp farms that had to shut down and, and 
re reorganize everything that they did, grow new crops, etc. Uh, the Nixon administration came on and exacerbated all this with the war on drugs. Uh, you can look up one of Richard Nixon's right-hand guys blatantly uh, said it as it was, but Nixon had two enemies during his presidency, which were the hippies and black people. And he used cannabis and heroin. He weaponized them as tools for imprisonment and to destabilize the communities. So, you know, making drugs even more illegal uh, was to the benefit of Nixon and, you know, his his agenda for whatever the fuck it was he was trying to do. But, um, so we have that. We all know the war on drugs has been a a massive failure and waste of money, uh, unfortunately. And we're still working to get hundreds of thousands of wrongfully imprisoned African-American men out of prison for nonviolent crimes like very small marijuana possession charges. Uh, And I think that will happen. I think that will happen sooner rather than later. Uh, We just need to continue this fight, continue bringing this into awareness and bringing this to light because it's important. It's important. No one should be in jail for possession of marijuana, possession or use or sale, whatever it might be. This plant really only heals people at the end of the day. And yet our government has used it as a tool to destroy lives and to destabilize families and whole communities. So it's important that we change this. Um, We've made a lot of headway. You know, there's been a lot of movement on that. So that's good. That's promising. We can see the light, but there's a lot more work to do. Uh, I, I highly recommend you check out the last prisoner project that is headed by, uh, one of the great pioneers in the cannabis industry, Steve D'Angelo and his brother. So check that out. I'll have that in the show notes. If you want to check that out and support that cause. So that's very important. Um, so here we are, uh, cannabis is now legal in, um, let me just check this. How many states is cannabis legal in? So right now, cannabis is legal in 20, uh, the recreational use of cannabis is legalized in 11 states. The medical use of cannabis is legalized in 33 states, um, which is fantastic. Which is, it's so funny because cannabis is still a Schedule 1 drug, which means it's right there with cocaine and other substances. Um, The hemp farm bill was recently past, which made, and this is still very gray, but it made the cultivation and sale of hemp legal, but the distribution of CBD products is still very much gray. We're still working through that and 
that'll be a process. But as far as I can tell, you could go on just about any website on the internet and buy yourself some CBD products. That's beside the point of whether or not it'll be effective, but you can get it. Um, so we've made a lot of headway, but there's still a lot of work to be done, like I said. So it's important that we keep spreading this message. So here we are. Why does cannabis work with, with humans, with any living creature, actually? It's because like we have a nervous system, like we have an endocrine system, etc. We also have this thing called the endocannabinoid system, which is a system of receptors in our body that basically helps keep our body in homeostasis or hormonal balance. It helps, it, it is involved in the processes that are included in our appetite, how we feel and deal with pain, our sleep rhythms, and uh, our mood. So it's a very important system in our bodies. And we actually create our own cannabinoids. Uh, one is called anandamide, otherwise known as the bliss molecule. And the other one is called 2-AG. 2-AG. I'm not exactly sure the scientific, the full name of it, but... These are two cannabinoids that we produce in our own bodies, and you produce them all the time. One of the best ways that we that you produce more of them is through exercise. So you know that saying of the runner's high. Well, it's actually because you're producing your own endogenous cannabinoids. And you're feeling good. You're feeling high. You're feeling lifted. You're feeling positive. Um, and actually, anandamide is more... Um, more directly related to THC and THC is the cannabinoid in the cannabis plant that gets you high and CBD doesn't make you feel high and is actually an antagonist to THC. So there's in the cannabis plant, you've got THC, you've got CBD, and then you've got about 170 other cannabinoids and they're always finding out new ones. And then also in the cannabis plant, you've got terpenes, which are the flavonoids, the antioxidants, all the little, the tiny little molecules that sort of interact and synergize with the various cannabinoid profiles to give you the effect generated when you consume that strain of cannabis. And every strain of cannabis is different. And every human is different. So when it comes to finding a strain for yourself, other than taking my buddy Len May's uh, DNA cannabis DNA test, which is at endocannahealth.com, which I'll have that in the uh, show notes as well for you to check out. Um, so other than taking that, which that test can really narrow down, it narrows down your genetic profile. And through that, they've, they've done extensive research and testing on various cannabis strain genetic profiles. So they can match up exactly what will work best for you, given your genetics and DNA, which is fantastic. So outside of doing a test like that to really narrow into what works specifically well for you, it takes a lot of trial and error. 
you got to try a lot of stuff. You got to be willing to experiment on yourself. That's honestly, that's what I did. And it's not always fun. Um, you come into contact with some cannabis strains that really don't work that well for you. Yeah. They're actually very unpleasant and it's not fun. Uh, it's not fun to be high in a way that you weren't expecting, but there are always lessons that come from that. And, you know, I, I can't deny that I'm not advocating that. I think that you, you need to do what's right for you. And it's always start slow, start slow, start low, very low dosages. This is not something to fuck around with. THC is a potent, potent molecule that will fuck you up. It'll take you into the depths of hell if you're not careful and you're not mindful about your use of it. There is no doubt about that. Um, So I am not here to advocate whether or not you should use it. That's all on the personal journey, man. If it calls to you, give it a shot. If it doesn't, if you're skeptical of it, if you're a little concerned about it, find someone who knows, find someone who understands how cannabis works, what it does, Get find yourself a, a, a holistic doctor who's interested and who knows a little bit something about cannabis who can kind of guide you and tell you where to go. But this is all personal. And there's no way to really say what works best. CBD is fantastic. CBD, I believe, is like it should be taken as a vitamin. There's no high effect to it. There's no psychological effect, psychoactive effect with CBD. It's great for managing inflammation. Uh, I love it for recovery. I love it for dealing, for just sort of balancing me out, my mental state. You know, I meditate a lot. I exercise a lot. So that gives me a foundation of, of balance. But CBD, I find, really smooths out the rough spots if I'm having a hard day. And you can take that as a capsule. You could get, you know, there's some great vapes out there. No, we want to be careful with vaping, etc. I'll be up front with you right now. Smoking cannabis is my favorite way to take it. Um but I'll leave that to you and your own journey. Uh, So we have the endocannabinoid system. It's amazing. It interacts with the cannabis plant. Very interesting how we have evolved to have this endocannabinoid system which interacts directly with cannabinoids from the cannabis plant. Isn't that fascinating? So you really, when you look at that, it's, it is as if nature intended us to use cannabis as a medicine. It's there for us, comes out of the earth. We come out of the earth. And so we have evolved together. Now, all of this being said, you know, we're still in this weird situation where People have to, uh, it's, it's been accepted in the mainstream thought machine for the most part that cannabis and CBD have without a doubt medicinal benefits and very profound effects on the health and well-being of all sorts of people, cancer survivors, military veterans, children with severe seizure syndromes, um, Professional athletes, people who have suffered severe brain damage, brain trauma, 
cannabis, CBD, the components therein are profoundly effective at treating and, and dealing with all of these ailments. So I think that's been accepted. But, for, but there is still this fight going on. Cannabis is still federally illegal. It almost seems absurd. How much more do we need? What do we need to do now to get it made totally legal? We shouldn't be in this discussion of having to fight for it to be made recreationally legal or medicinally legal and available. People should have access to this plant. Without any, there's, there's no, there are no conditions to that. People must have access to this plant. And so we need to continue to talk about it and bring awareness to it. I guess that's why I'm doing this episode right here. Because one of the most confusing aspects of this thing, so, so cannabis is federally illegal, right? Now, how does it make sense that the federal government has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants? Patent, write this down, patent 6,630,507. Google it right now, you'll find it. The federal government has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants, which means there are no ifs, ands, or buts about this, which means they have seen through scientific research that cannabis helps protect the brain from damage, and it can also help heal the brain after damage has occurred. Hmm. So the same governing body that says this substance is illegal also recognizes that this substance has medicinal benefits. And Schedule 1, mind you, is a categorization in which it is declared that the substance therein has no recognized medicinal benefits. And a high instance of criminality associated with it. That's interesting. So I'll leave that for you to consider to work out on your own. It makes you wonder what else we've been lied to about. Makes you wonder what else is going on out there. Free the plant, free the people. As some very wise people, older than myself, have said in the past. So I think that's about it for today, folks. I think I gave you all my information that I have. Um, I love the cannabis plant. I feel as though on the on the pyramid of plant medicine, cannabis is the foundational element to the plant medicine pyramid. It is the gateway to health. They were absolutely right about cannabis being a gateway drug and it's a gateway to health because it really leads you on the path to healing your entirety, healing you in your entirety, your physical body, your emotional body, your mental body, your spiritual body. And it brings it all into alignment. Cannabis can do that. Well, cannabis can help you do that because it's you that does it. It's not the plant. 
I liken this, the discussion or the relationship to cannabis as if you had a home builder, he builds homes, he or she builds homes. That's what they do for a living. They would never like, they would never give all the credit and all the success over to their hammer or their power drill. They built the home. They used these tools to build the home. Think of the home as your life. You're building your life. Cannabis is one of those tools. Cannabis is your power drill. Cannabis helps you build the home of your life. So your life isn't about the power drill. It's not about the hammer. It's not about cannabis. Your life is about you and your well-being. Realizing your highest self, realizing your highest greatness in this world and your purpose. Cannabis is a tool to help you get there. So I hope you enjoyed this. That's about it for today. Lots of love to you guys. I hope this finds you stepping into your highest greatness. Lots of love. If you love this, share it with a friend, rate it, review it, etc., That's the greatest way you can support me. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'm Eben Britton, and I'm out of here. Peace.